Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our service of worship and remembrance this morning. Paul, that great servant of the message of the gospel and the saving truth that is in Jesus, writes to us across 2,000 years of history. I became a servant of the church by virtue of the task assigned to me by God for your benefit, to put God's word into full effect, that secret purpose hidden for long ages and through many generations, but now disclosed to God's people. To them, to us, he chose to make known what a wealth of glory is offered to the Gentiles in this secret purpose, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He it is whom we proclaim. And we'll proclaim it and we'll celebrate it as we sing together our first hymn this morning. It's from Praise the Lord 253. And in it we celebrate the fact that Jesus lives in us and is living in his church. Later on this morning, Roy is going to come and encourage us. And he's asked that we read together from Hebrews chapter 1. Jack is going to come and read that for us. First chapter of the letter to the Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment and you will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment they will be changed but you remain the same and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation thank you Jack thank you to Rosie for preparing our care announcements 
Jack's here, but Mary sadly has gone back into hospital again after a few bad days and then dehydration and sickness from too high a calcium level. She hopes to be home very soon. She now has a date at the end of June for starting treatment at Christie's. So she and Jack both need our prayers and love and care as they are facing this difficult time. Jack was given a clean bill of health from the heart specialist this week, which is a great encouragement. Mike and Lucy's little daughter Sophie has had an infection and was back in an incubator for a few days, but she responded well to treatment. And this morning she's back to normal and doing well. We thank and remember God for the skill of all those people who care for our loved ones. Marion is still very poorly at the moment. She's seen a new doctor who has given her some different medication to try and alleviate her breathing problems. She very much needs our prayers. Gladys, lovely to see you again. We know that you have to overcome a lot of difficulties to make it here and it's a real privilege to share fellowship with you. Pauline is doing quite well at the moment, but we're sure that she's missing Mary's visits. She appreciates the love and support she's given as she struggles with day-to-day -day problems. We will pray for all these members who need God's special care. We pray for our families with new or expected babies and ask God's blessing on those whom we seldom or never see, like Haley, John Bernani, Pete Griffiths and Alan McGore and others who have particular problems at this time. Is there anybody else we should remember in prayer together? I'm going to leave a couple of minutes for you to reflect on all those people that we've um, heard about and also to pray for yourself and the people that you know about that you care for who need God's special blessing and after that time of silence I'll lead us in saying the Lord's Prayer together so this is your time. And so we pray together, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever and ever. Amen. So as we've remembered all those people who need the loving care of our Father and his Son, the risen Lord Jesus, we'll remember their power to heal them in the singing together of hymn 330, which celebrates not only the compassion and love of our Lord Jesus, but also picks up on the themes of our reading from Hebrews chapter 1. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. Look unto me, thy morn shall rise, and all thy day be bright. I looked to Jesus, and I found in him my star, my sun, and in that light of life I'll walk till travelling days are done. And so we remember, we remember in the sharing of bread and wine, Christ, who lives in us, the hope of glory. He said of himself, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be thirsty. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and anyone who comes to me, I will never turn away. I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, 
but to do the will of him who sent me. It is his will that I should not lose even one of those that he has given me, but should raise them all up at the last day. For it is the Father's will that everyone who sees the Son and has faith in him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Ed is going to come and offer thanks for the bread. Almighty, incredible God, we, we come to you now and humbly ask for your forgiveness. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for this bread and all that it represents, that you, we've been made part of the body. Thank you even more for this than the fact that you've redeemed us. We have the hope of Christ in us and his glory. Father, we've just sung about your light and how it shines out. We pray that we'll be motivated by the love that you've shown to us to try harder to reflect your light and your love to those around us. We pray that you'll work in us and bless us and strengthen us and that you'll send your kingdom when the whole world will be filled with your glory as soon as you can. We ask this, all this through your Son. Amen. Jesus said, I am the living bread that has come down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. The bread which I shall give is my own flesh, given for the life of the world. Jesus went on to say, In very truth I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you can have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Steve Tanner will give our thanks for the cup of wine. Great God, Almighty Lord, we, your children, come before you now in prayer. We praise you. You are a mighty God. You are a loving God. You are so strong, so awesome. Yet when we call to you, when we come to you in prayer, where are you? We know you are the God of heaven, but you are also the God of this earth. And you tell us that if we obey your Son, obey your commands, that you and Jesus will come and build your homes in us. So at the same time you are so distant but so close. Father, when I come to you in prayer, so many things go through my mind. But right here, right now, we come to thank you for this cup of wine. The cup of wine that's been given to us to remind us of the sacrifice of your son of the love that you have for us, the 
the price that you were prepared to pay for our salvation. A message so deeply sent into our hearts that you are calling us. Father, thank you for this cup that represents blood. Not just theoretically, but as that blade struck into the side of the Lord Jesus, blood was poured out, mixed with water. Lord, if we just dwelt on that small thing, we would just be sad. But we know it's so much more than that. Once it was done, as we read in Hebrews, the Lord Jesus came and sat at your side in heaven, whilst the purification for sins had been done. Lord Jesus, we thank you for going through such an act. I pray that as we share this cup of wine one to another, that we renew our commitment to you, that your message is once again opened up in our hearts so clearly, so loudly, that you are our God and you want to live with us. Father God, you've promised that when your son Jesus comes back, there will be a new heaven and a new earth and your dwelling place will be here on earth with man. There will be no more crying, no more tears, no more sadness, no more pain. What a wonderful time we have to look forward. Until that time, Father, thank you for this continual reminder. Thank you for the Son, Lord Jesus. And thank you for our brothers and sisters. Amen. And so we share this cup of wine together, the symbol of the blood of Christ. We truly live because of Jesus who lives in us. And we'll celebrate that as we sing together our next hymn. Share this meal that you may remember what I give out of love for my people live in me. It's a great pleasure to have Roy and Maureen with us today. And Roy, please come and encourage us. Good morning. It's a great pleasure for Maureen and I to join you at Old Trafford again. What think ye of Christ? That's a question Jesus put to the Pharisees, isn't it? But what do you think of Christ? What do I think of Christ? Well, there are a lot of things about him that just amaze me. His intellectual capacity, the way he could quote scripture and knew it, I have heard there are people who could recite the whole scripture but I've never come across such a person but I do believe Malcolm's grandfather was taught the whole of the Psalms and could recite them, taught them by his mother. And there are people who know a huge amount of scripture, know it so well. There was a brother in Jamaica who needed no concordance. He could turn anywhere in the scripture and find what was needed. And Jesus, at the age of 12, was discussing scripture. You know, he was lost and after three days they found him in the temple court sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. 
And everyone who heard him was amazed. They were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And it's interesting too to see the focus of that intellect. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? So Jesus had this great awareness of his father and a very high regard for him. He always seemed to know the right thing to do, didn't he? And I don't feel as though I've got that sort of clarity of thinking. And perhaps you feel that way too. But it's something to strive for. And Jesus sets us the standard. You see, when he was in the desert, again, he quotes a lot of scripture there, doesn't he? Uh, but I mean, uh, what, what would I have done? Would I have used that power? I only want to make these stones into a bit of bread just to get me by for a little while. It doesn't seem very unreasonable, does it? But no, Jesus wasn't going to use the divine power for himself. But it wasn't just a negative response. He, he has the bigger issue in mind. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And I sometimes feel, I just don't have that bigger picture. Maybe you feel the same too. Jesus was a person who saw outside himself so fully, fully towards his Father and towards other people. And he was sensitive to how they feel. We've come across people who are very sensitive to others. And I know one, and it frightens me sometimes when they say things. And I say, how do you know that? But it's perhaps an inflection in the voice or, or their stance or some, something about the face that informs them a great deal. And Jesus had that uh, ability par excellence. In fact, in John it said, he knew what was in man, didn't know, need anybody to tell him. He could tell so much. Now, Jesus didn't just analyse people. He responded to them and blended in that response was love and compassion. And we remember the apostles went off with a gift of the Holy Spirit to preach and to heal and they came back to see Jesus. And the apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all that he had done and taught, all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going and they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So he was well aware that they were worn out, excited, but worn out. They needed a bit of respite, didn't they? And so they get in the boat, and you imagine half of them asleep and someone uh, on the tiller with half an eye where they were going, perhaps someone looking after the sail, just about. And they're approaching the other side. Um, so they went off to this solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on, on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Well, I don't suppose Jesus was entirely asleep on this occasion. I imagine as they were coming up to the shoreline, uh, he could see this movement of people. And uh, if I'd have been there, I'd say, no, now lads, turn this boat about. I think we've got to find a different place. No. They landed. 
And when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and said, well, look, come back tomorrow. We're all so worn out. We, we can't do anything for you today. No, he didn't say that at all, did he? He saw this large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He could see their real needs. And so he began to teaching them many things. So we can think of many instances of his kindness, like to the widow of Nain or uh, Jairus' daughter or the Syrophoenician woman and her daughter and many others. And Jesus extends his kindness to us as well. He says, come to me, all you, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's interesting. Have you seen animals yoked together? Uh, there used to be a third world project at the University of East Anglia, and I sometimes would see a couple of oxen there yoked together and, and doing a bit of ploughing. Um, it's just a wooden bar, basically. It goes across and joins them, and the two animals walk walk along together. Jesus is saying, come alongside me and I'll be there with you helping you because we've got this yoke on us. We can't move without moving together. Look how it's done. I'll show you how to do it. Learn from me. Isn't that important? And that's what we talk about Jesus for and all the things he's done so we can learn and put that into practice. And he goes on to say, For I am gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now this aspect of gentleness and humbleness, or meekness, figures very much in the life of the Apostle Paul. When he was writing to the Corinthians, it says, By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. It was these qualities in Jesus actually had transformed his life. Because on the way to on the road to Damascus. He was breathing out threatening and slaughter. That's not very meek, is it? And he was throwing believers into prison. It's not exactly gentle, is it? But when Jesus met him on that road, he didn't use the sort of force that Saul was using. He just said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? What a fantastic way of dealing with a person. Now, you think of someone who is arrogant, that's the opposite of being meek. Whether they're at work, in the meeting, in the family, does that really help? Or someone who is violent, does that get us anywhere in the long term? Now, I'm all for putting my shoulder to a problem and pushing hard, and if it doesn't move, you push harder. That's all right if you're pushing a car, trying to get it started. But in human relationships, that doesn't work very well. You push harder, you shout louder. It doesn't, in the long term, bring any worthwhile results. And nor does violence either. But meekness and gentleness do. Well, I wish I had more of those qualities that Jesus had. Maybe you feel that way too. I'd like to look at Mark chapter 10 now, just a few verses there, verse 32 to 34. Mark chapter 10. 
Just a few verses, and I think they tell us a lot about the person of Jesus. Mark 10, verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, and those who followed were afraid. What? Hang on, what's going on? What is going on? Why were the disciples astonished? Why were the people afraid? Well, Jesus was a charismatic person, striding out in front, and they were following. And he stops, and his charisma goes. And he's no longer appearing as a strong leader, and there's fear on his face. That is what I think happened. The change took place because of what was on his mind, and we know what was on his mind, because he, again he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. We see the humanity in Jesus in his fear. He knows what it's like to be frightened. It's something we all experience. But what about his courage? I mean, we'd get a bit nervous going to the dentist or the hospital, and we might actually get frightened. But the professionals we'll meet will be doing their very best for us, and they'll be trying to keep the pain to a minimum. Jesus knew the treatment he was going to get at Jerusalem, but he still went up to Jerusalem. I'm sure I'd have gone the other way astounding courage Jesus had I know there's a last bit there something else about Jesus three days later he will rise yeah, that was faith absolute faith, no doubt he would rise that was in God's plan well the qualities that we see in Jesus are exactly what this world needs. They're exactly what you and I need. Because we've been touched by the love of our Heavenly Father and the love of our Lord Jesus, we are trying to be like Jesus. But then we come to the time after Jesus was raised from the dead, and I think we now see a whole new dimension all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he says. It's not a very big phrase, but it comprehends something quite fantastic. Actually, the question Jesus asked the Pharisees is, what thank you of Christ? Whose son is he? Well, he was and is the son of the Most High, as Gabriel said to Mary. And in the readings from Hebrew that we've had, Hebrews that we've had lately, we see again the implications of Jesus being God's son. So in the first chapter, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. 
sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to them. And in that first chapter there are quite a few other things we could quote about how great the Son of God is. In chapter 2, putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present we do not see everything subjected to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honour, because he suffered death, so that, he might, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In chapter 3, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of the house is great, has greater honour than the house itself. Further on in chapter 3, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Chapter 7. He became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Yes, Jesus is superior in so many ways. He's all-powerful. He's mighty in glory and honour. And as a word that crops up time and time in uh, Hebrews, and it's the word better. Uh, he's a better high priest bringing a better covenant, the better sacrifice with a better hope. And that hope is made real for us because we are in the new covenant. And this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time and we are the new Israel. The Lord declares, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God. By calling this covenant new, he made the first one obsolete. God is going to reprogram the hard drive in this computer that sits on our shoulders if we're willing because we're under this new covenant. In every way, Jesus is portrayed in the book of Hebrews as superior. He is a great and mighty Lord. When I read all that, he feels so different to me and so far above me that he feels a bit remote to me. And perhaps he feels that way to you at times. But this mighty Lord says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And the Renaissance painter Hogarth had a picture, a back view of Jesus knocking on a door. And there was no handle on the door. I think he Hogarth had got the spirit of what Jesus was about. But even if there had been a handle on the door, Jesus would not have barged in. But 
If we welcome him, he's pleased to come and be with us as friends having a meal together. This is amazing. It's amazingly generous and totally undeserved. But that's Jesus. That is the sort of person he is. And it's been God's plan that there should be a new covenant and that Jesus should be at the centre of the believer's life. As Richard read earlier from Colossians, that Paul was telling them the mystery that had been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Christ in you. Christ in me. The hope of glory. And it was central to the Christian's life. And that's why the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesians. I pray that out of his glorious riches the Father may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And for Paul it was a reality, wasn't it? She says in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is the power of Christ in our life. And that's a challenge for us, isn't it? A challenge for us each day. Christ in our life. We may, not, we may feel we're not living up to that challenge. For most of us, it's not something that happens in a flash. And perhaps we could feel a bit discouraged. I, I, I think I feel a bit like those Galatians to whom Paul wrote, and you may too feel that way. My dear, dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. But in another way, that's encouraging. It's telling us that it's a growing process. And we're all be at different stages, but we're all growing. And Christ himself encourages us to accept the challenge. He says to us, surely, I'm with you always, to the very end of the age. Thanks to Roy for reminding us about the life and saving purpose of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of all that we've shared and learnt and celebrated this morning, it's right to celebrate Jesus. And we'll do that by singing together our last hymn and after that I will pray for you and pinch some of Paul's words to do so. So in the words of hymn 209, Hallelujah, sing to Jesus, here's the scepter, here's the throne. Hallelujah, here's the triumph, here's the victory alone. Father God, I pray that out of the treasures of your glory 
you may grant to all of us inward strength and power through your Spirit, that by faith Christ may dwell in our hearts in love, with deep roots and firm foundations, that we, in company with all God's people, might be strong to grasp what is the breadth and length and height and depth of Christ's love, and to know it, though it is beyond knowledge. I pray that we may be filled with the very fullness of God. And to you, who are able, through the power which is at work among us, to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or conceive, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus from generation to generation, for evermore. Amen.